This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you could have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. Have you ever covered a carpet stain with a rug? Ignored a leaky faucet? Pretended your half-painted living room is supposed to look like that? Well, you're not alone. We've all got unfinished home projects. But there's an easier way. When you download Thumbtack, it's easier to care for your home from top to bottom. Pull out your phone and in just a few steps, you can search, chat, and book highly rated pros right in your neighborhood. Plus, you'll know what to tackle next because Thumbtack is the app that shows you what to do, who to hire, and when. So say goodbye to all those unfinished home projects and say hello to caring for your home the easier way. Download Thumbtack and start a project today. I'm Jane Pauley, and this is Sunday Morning. Vaccinations up, new cases down, outdoor mask rules eased a bit. All in all, our comeback from COVID is an encouraging work in progress, leading many of us to ponder and more than a few of us to dread what the next step might be, as we'll be hearing from Susan Spencer. After more than a year of working from home, is America really ready to return to the office? There's this, this kind of law of physics that says that, you know, a person at home tends to stay at home. It's hard to put on pants for work. What can I tell you? So you're fully understandable of the half of America that says they're perfectly happy to continue working at home. Yeah, I get it. Back to your cubicle. Maybe not so fast. Ahead on Sunday morning. A funny thing happened when Billy Crystal met Tiffany Haddish. They hit it off, and now they're starring in a new movie that's hitting theaters this coming week. Tracy Smith has a preview. 
I am so flattered that somebody your age would be a fan of my work. I don't know who the hell you are. In their new movie, Billy Crystal and Tiffany Haddish are less odd couple and more a platonic Harry Met Sally. I didn't want for this to happen. That this, it didn't happen. I love you, Billy. I consider you my uncle. And so as your uncle, um, could I borrow some money? Yeah. (laughs) When Billy met Tiffany, later on Sunday morning. The words cancel culture are fighting words in these bitterly partisan times. This morning, our Ted Koppel weighs in on the controversy. The two stupidest words ever put together, cancel culture. Is all this talk of cancel culture making you cringe? They want to cancel, let's see, Dr. Seuss, Mr. and Mrs. Potato Head, Pepe Le Pew. Yes, there are people on the left who absolutely want to reevaluate the entire American history based on 2021 values. And hell yes, that's controversial. And no, it's not going away. Go woke, go broke. Coming up. On Sunday morning. With Faith Saley, we remember the launch 50 years ago of National Public Radio. Luke Burbank takes us to a space bubble concert by the rock band The Flaming Lips, plus Steve Hartman and Jim Gaffigan, and more besides, on this Sunday morning for the 2nd of May, 2021. And we'll be right back. Getting America back to work after COVID is very much a work in progress. And what happens next could hit millions of workers where they live. Susan Spencer weighs the competing demands of home and office. As a marketing manager for Ford Motor Company, Jovina Young has her own take on Zooming for work. You are a real car person. Uh, Yeah. But when the pandemic hit, working from home meant really shifting gears. I had a five-year-old who was in kindergarten and a one-year-old. And uh, my husband is a nurse, so often he's gone at the hospital while I'm home alone with the children. Oh, and by the way, you're also trying to work full-time. Oh, there was just such a lot of pressure on us at that time. After a few months, though, that pressure seemed to lift. I found a rhythm at home that I really, really enjoy. That I never really thought I would do this, but I, ha- I, do ha- I have found that I do prefer working at home. All right, Tala, what do you have today for school? Do you know? No. Gone are the harried mornings and the once-expected rituals of makeup, hair, and work clothes. 8.30, we have morning meeting. Pretty much it's like yoga pants, a t-shirt, and a hoodie. Well, one thing you, you gained, I gather, is you don't have to commute. That's been a great blessing in all this. I actually love not having to commute, and I hate to say that because I work for an automotive company. Conveniences like that may help explain why 60% of working Americans say ideally they want to work from home or remotely at least part of the time. Once the cat's out of the bag and people discover that they can work at home and they can do the laundry over lunch breaks, it's going to be very difficult for companies to just say, well, no, you have to be here at 9 o'clock, period. Do you think this is the wave of the future? 
Yeah, I do think we're evolving and setting new boundaries around what the nature of work is. Kirsten Robinson is the chief people officer at Ford Motor Company, where Jovina Young works. And yes, chief people officer is her actual title. The chief people officer is responsible for uh, all of the people in an organization. Many of them are in for a radical change this fall when Ford goes to a hybrid model for 30,000 workers. Managers will have input, but none of those employees will work 9 to 5 at the office every day unless they feel like it. Are you leaving it to the employees to decide what the ratio is between working at home and working in the office? Yeah, we've surveyed them and the number of days they anticipate being in the office will vary depending on the nature of the project or the work that they're doing. What do you see your schedule, say, in a year? I'll be working from home probably like 70% of the time. This may seem a frivolous question, but you know, you're working with tens of thousands of people who've basically been in their pajamas for for over a year. Do you expect that there will be any changes in, in what people where to work? Uh, well, I'm not, I'm not sure if we'll see pyjamas, um, but I certainly, I certainly do expect uh, a much more relaxed dress code, absolutely. No matter what we wear, says Harvard Business School professor Arthur Brooks, we need to go back. It's actually pretty amazing how much more productive people are when they meet in person. When you're meeting with somebody on Zoom, uh, my hypothesis is 95% chance they're actually not paying attention to you. They're actually doing, they're playing solitaire on their computer during your Zoom meeting. Plus, he says, don't underestimate the benefit of normal human contact. Your likelihood of saying you're a lonely person goes up 60, 70 percentage points if you're working at home as opposed to working in the office. Now, it's good. There's no traffic. There's no commute. I mean, commuting is bad, but loneliness is worse. Some people's concerns, though, with going back are just sort of practical things, you know, like what is the etiquette in the office when you return to work? How do you greet somebody? Yeah, I know, and, and we will find that out. So there's some basics that we know. Wear pants, um, for example. Um, <laughs> that's a good one. You know, I can probably live without shaking hands, but I, I can't live without direct eye contact. We all are feeling a little bit rusty, a little bit wobbly as we enter whatever this new normal will be. So it's not just me? No, absolutely not. No, no, no. In fact, a good number of us, says psychologist Ellen Hendrickson, are anxious and dread going back to the office. Social anxiety is driven by avoidance. And we have all been avoiding our normal social lives. Well, you could argue that given what was at stake, what is at stake still, Uh, that being socially anxious is the normal response, right? Absolutely. So the the 1% of people who just, you know, cannot identify with social anxiety at all are actually psychopaths. (laughs) So the the best way to have come through the pandemic would have been as a psychopath? As a psychopath, right. Oh, great. So if you rule the world, you would have everybody be back at work Monday morning. I can't imagine anybody who wants a Harvard professor to rule the world. So that's just, that's just so far away from my conception of reality. You may have a point there. Harvard or not, everyone we spoke with seems to agree that work never will look the same again. I think a hybrid model 
with the flexibility of working from home, saving people that commute while retaining that ability to interact face-to-face -face and to, to just have that community is going to be really important. It wouldn't surprise me at all if we actually start experimenting with a norm in, within companies of work from home Fridays, for example, or work from home Wednesdays and Fridays, or Thursdays and Fridays, or something along these lines. And I, we're going to adapt to a new model that, that, is, uh, that is more independent than it was in the past. And for Jovina Young, that's the road to take. So you're not going to be putting on that uniform and makeup and getting in the car for that commute any more than you absolutely have to. Yeah, yeah. If I'm able to be as productive and work from home, I'm going to do it. And then at the times I need to be there and, and I want to connect with others, we'll go. Yeah. What's in a word? This morning's question for our Steve Hartman. All you want is a nice, peaceful breakfast. So you slice open an orange or grapefruit and get ready to attack it with a spoon. Only to have it attack you back, right in the eye. The phenomenon is well documented in pop culture. Ow, you squirted me! But did you know there's a word for what your citrus does to you? You get sprayed in the eye and you go, oh, it orbisculated. It or what? Oh, it orbisculated. Brother and sister Jonathan and Hillary Krieger of Boston say they picked up that word from their father. As a child, you learn words because your parents use them, and then you start using them, and you don't kind of question, is it a real word? Until you're thumbing through a dictionary one day and find there, between orb and orbit, nothing. And I said, Dad, what's wrong with this dictionary? <laughs> orbisculate isn't in it. And he said, well, maybe orbisculate. I might have made it up. <laughs> I, might, I might have made this word up. <laughs> the Kriegers laughed about that for years. Laughed until they cried. Last April, Jonathan and Hillary's dad, Neil, died of COVID. And in the days after his passing, that orbisculate story was one of the few things that still brought a smile, which gave the kids an idea. It felt like a very nice way to honor someone at a time where there's not a lot of positive things going on. What they did was launch a campaign to get orbisculate into the dictionary by getting folks to use it. Right. They came up with a list of 78 goals, like get the word in a crossword puzzle. Check. Temporarily tattooed on someone's body. Check in a child's chalk drawing. Check. In a petri dish of phosphorescent bacteria. Surprisingly, check. In a news story. Check. Someone even put it on a sign at a grocery store. Warning, strong possibility of orbisculation. Words with friends added it to their game. This woman wrote it into a song. In that fruit orbisculated right into my of course, getting orbisculate entrenched into our vernacular will be the challenge. But Jonathan and Hillary are determined to see this through. And that would be something our dad would really love. Definitely. And you don't need a dictionary to see the meaning of that.
A funny thing happened to comedian Billy Crystal when he went into COVID lockdown. Well, two things, actually. The first is a new household pastime. The second is a new film co-starring Tiffany Haddish. Tracy Smith tells us all about both. They'll cut the next one in and make it look like Fix it in post. Come on. You know how that works. When we last met him in 2013, (laughs) Billy Crystal took me to school at his home basketball hoop. So let's see. Last time we talked. Yes. You were 65 and you kicked my rear end in basketball. (laughs) Right. That's right. Yeah. And I'm still playing basketball. You're just one on zero? Just Just one on me. You know, I've been alone for this whole terrible time playing basketball alone. And while quarantining with Janice, his wife of 51 years, he's found other passions like ironing and a vacuum. (laughs) Oh, this is a beauty. You gotta see this thing. Is this what you looked at? Yes, this is it. This is the the thing I'm more excited about than anything. I'd like to thank the Academy. What do you think this says that you're you're so excited about this? It says um, it's sad. I think I said, this is really sad. Are you doing anything right now? No. Want to have some laughs? For the record, he's also been working on this. I'm a comedy writer. All right, guys, very funny. Crystal co-wrote, directed, and stars in Here Today. (laughs) You funny, old man. About a legendary comedy writer who meets a young street singer, played by Tiffany Haddish, who won lunch with him in a charity auction. How much? Twenty-two. $2,200? That's fantastic. $22. It started at 20 and then it went up in 50 cent increments. The on-screen chemistry is real. The theory of relativity is never lend your relatives money. You can kiss that 10 bucks goodbye. <laughs> and it's been that way off-screen since the moment in 2017 when Billy met Tiffany. So... I come in there, just, you know, all me, and he's like, hey, and I'm like, hey, and then we clicked immediately, and as he's, like, telling me about the story, he's trying to pitch it to me, sell it to me, and I'm like, hey, 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 you, you can stop talking. You have me at hello? Uh, I'm, I'm doing this movie. It's done. We're doing it. It's, it's <laughs> in the can, okay? We, we're at the Oscars. In my mind, we're at the Oscars already. Even before Here Today, Tiffany Haddish was already a movie star. We are so lucky to have you. You're right. Y'all very lucky. Very, very lucky. And her star got even brighter when she hosted Saturday Night Live, the first black female comedian to do so. Before I was in Girls Trip, I grew up in foster care. And I want to say thank you to anyone who paid taxes between 1990 and 1999. (laughs) Because if you wouldn't have paid your taxes, I wouldn't have been standing here today. So thank you. Her performance that night earned her a primetime Emmy and made Billy Crystal sit up and take notice. I saw Tiffany host SNL, and I said, oh, my God. You knew. That's her. I just saw her do this, and then I found out about her. We got out of the script, and then we met, and then here we are. Of course, Billy Crystal has a few comedy gems of his own, from Meg Ryan's lunch partner. Most women at one time or another have faked it. Well, they haven't faked it with me. To the voice of one-eyed Mike Wazowski. Hey, let's talk more pain, Marshmallow Boy. But in the new movie, two of the funniest people on the planet have to deal with a completely unfunny situation. Who are they? That's my family. If they're your family, why do you have their names written down? 
Crystal's character, Charlie Burns, is in the early stages of dementia, and she becomes his rock as his world starts to slip away. Charlie, you can't be alone anymore. If you ever need my help, I'm here. I'm writing something, and I have to finish before my words run out. And I know you've joked about where did I put my car keys, yeah. but there are moments when I really think, okay, is this, am I headed down that road when mm. I forget something? Do you have those moments? Oh, yeah. I think you reach a certain age where you, you look for any little pebble in your shoe to go, what is that? What was that? Is this, uh-oh. Pass me the, um... And then you go, is this it? But it, hopefully not. But, you know, you, you, we're all on alert because it's a, it's a terrible thing that's a, a affecting more and more people every day. In fact, dementia has touched both of their families, including Tiffany's grandmother. It's sometimes she doesn't remember him. She's like, get away from me. I don't know you. And I'm like, you don't got to know me for me to love you. You know, like, and it's, it's hard. It's hard to see her slowly deteriorating. And, and um, over these years, it's been um, not easy. And speaking of family, a few years back, Haddish discovered that she had Jewish roots on her father's side. So she decided to convert. And in 2019, she made it official with a little help from a friend. Tiffany, you had a bat mitzvah. Mm-hmm. Yes, and I invited Billy to come, and then I was like, Billy, would you be willing to do my Aaliyah? And he's like, yes. I'm like, yes. <laughs> you know, to be asked to do one of the the key blessings um, for her as she was about to read from the Torah was really an honor, and the fact that she asked me to do it really meant a great deal to me. Because to me, Billy's like the uncle I always wanted, like the family member I needed to like help me grow. I feel like I've grown so much because of him. Whoa! Uh, I didn't want for this to happen. That this, it didn't happen. Your little frail body would not be able to handle all these groceries. I'll break your back. Then you die. Can't have it. Here today will open this Friday in theaters only. And for Billy, that's essential. What is it like to sit in a theater and see your movie and hear people, watch people reacting to it? That's also a great thrill. We've all had experiences. We jumped out of our chairs and jaws. I didn't take a shower after I saw Psycho for like nine, ten months. <laughs> I took baths standing up. <laughs> and that's what you want in a movie. You want that moment. That's what I want for here today. I want them to laugh, and I want them to think, what can I do to help somebody if I'm ever in that situation? I do think one of the things themes of this movie is telling people how you feel about them while you still have the chance to do it. Definitely. So I'd like to give you both that chance now. Well, Billy knows, and I'll say it in front of the whole wide world. I love Billy. I love you, Billy. I consider you my uncle, uh, my family, my my mentor, my everything. I love you to death. And, and, you know, if I could have you around me all the time, I would. Well, Thank you. And so as your uncle, um, could I borrow some money? Yeah. <laughs> I know you're not going to pay me back, but that's okay. This is the first film Billy Crystal has directed in 20 years. I still don't know why you play against me. It's good aerobics. <laughs> yeah, for me. And although he's made some of the more memorable films of all time, he says it still feels like the first time. <laughs> you get some perverse pleasure beating your only son like this? Yeah, a lot. Uh, well, in some ways, I feel like I'm just starting out, you know, because it's a whole new world out there.
So you, I always feel and always did, I, you always have to prove yourself over and over again. You still feel like you have to prove yourself? Oh, yeah. You know, there's a lot of younger people who only know me as Mike Wazowski in, in Monsters, Inc. You know, so there's, there's a lot more to do. There's a lot more to say. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Cancel culture is the most recent label for a free speech debate that's been going on for a very long time. As senior contributor Ted Koppel remembers all too well. This is Nightline. In 1987, Al Campanis, a vice president of the L.A. Dodgers, appeared on Nightline and made some deeply offensive remarks about why there weren't more black managers in baseball. No, I don't believe it's prejudice. I, I, I truly believe that they may not have some of the uh, necessities. Two days later, he was fired. We might say he was canceled. Cancel culture claiming a new victim. Cancel culture, as it's called these days, is a social weapon that has served the outrage of both the left... When you cross that kind of societal norm, you must pay the consequence. ...and the right. Don't support... Major League Baseball, whose players actually kneel for the national anthem. In 2016, 49ers quarterback Colin Kaepernick took a knee during the national anthem to protest police violence against blacks. I'm going to continue to stand with the people that are being oppressed. This is something that has to change. Believe in something. Canceled? Even if it means sacrificing everything. He never played professional football again. If you can't apologize and be forgiven, what do they need to do? What are the next steps? Is it public flogging? Nowadays, the term cancel culture has become the Swiss Army knife of political warfare. The two stupidest words ever put together, cancel culture. Cancel culture is real, it's insane, and it's growing exponentially. Sean Hannity offered his viewers a handy reference guide. They want to cancel, let's see, Dr. Seuss, Mr. and Mrs. Potato Head... Pepe Le Pew. They, you know, the left, the squad, the woke crowd. Liberals successfully purged almost all conservatives from academia, the entertainment industry, and journalism. Like those members of the San Francisco Board of Education who approved a plan to change the names of 44 schools linked to historical racism or oppression. Among those schools, until public outrage caused the board to suspend its plan, was one named after President Lincoln. This is how Trump gets reelected. Cancel Dr. Seuss, cancel Abe Lincoln, melt down Mr. Potato Head's private parts. This is his path to victory the next time around. Controversial? You bet. But listen to Perry Bacon Jr., a senior writer for the website 538. 
We are undergoing an incredibly important re-examination of who our heroes are and should be. And I think that is not a fake issue at all. I can't think of anything more important. You realize, of course, that that leaves you wide open to the argument that we are applying 21st century values to 18th century people. I'm a black person in America. I'm pretty happy for some of the things Lincoln did. So I'm not opposed to that. But I do think, yes, we are seeing some of the most fundamental values of our society questioned. Capitalism. Is America an exceptional country? Is America a great country? Is, a mo- is America a model for other countries? Have we treated Native Americans and Black people so egregiously bad that we've never been a true democracy? So when you see schools in San Francisco being renamed I don't think this is minor. I think we're sort of really seeing, yes, yes, there are people on the left who absolutely want to reevaluate the entire American history based on 2021 values. And hell yes, that's controversial. I would hope that for as long as I live, racists and transphobes think of me as a bad guy. I started making videos because I wanted to teach people about rhetoric and propaganda while still being somewhat entertaining. YouTuber Carlos Mazo wields his social influence with pride. Is that what you want? To become another reactionary YouTuber? No. No. That's not activism. Those who lose their jobs or reputations to the quick judgment of cancel culture see a national retribution campaign spinning out of control. Everyone will be canceled, unless you're on the full-on woke left, in which case you can say anything. If you organize your politics or your ethics around how can we avoid Fox News' horror stories, you will never do anything, because there is no way to enact change in a multiracial democracy without there being some horror stories. 30 years ago, a strikingly similar issue carried a different label. 1992 is the year of political correctness. Be sensitive or else. Political correctness. And Leon Botstein, the president of Bard College, joined me on Nightline to explain why so many teachers on campus were frightened by the phenomenon. They're scared because this is a populist intimidation, if it, if it happens at all, within groups of faculty and groups of students, where people simply don't want to risk either being vilified or unpopularity, or themselves are unwilling to have their own prejudices examined. It's ironic that all this call for diversity has created, within the university, a kind of silence about a real exchange of points of view. This is not a new problem. What is new is the medium. Thirty years on, Leon Botstein remains president of Bard College, and he recognizes the old symptoms. Council culture is much more focused on punishment. Social media is like an accelerant to an arson. Everything moves rapidly and out of control, so the slightest spark creates an avalanche, if you will, of retribution. There's no room for error, and the response is not to start a conversation or a dialogue, but to shut the person out in some way. That may be true, says Carlos Maza, but social media simply levels the playing field for the outliers, those like himself a few years back. So if I were at a school, like when I was in high school, and had teachers calling kids faggots in classrooms, there was really nothing I could do. And if the alternative to that is that teachers are afraid of offending the gay kid in class, I'm okay with it. What you're really describing is a 
a power struggle between the marginalized and those who are in power. I've been cancelled a million times. I'll probably be cancelled this afternoon by somebody somewhere. And in the end, you go through that process. And if you have something worthwhile to say, people will find you and listen to you. Columnist Andrew Sullivan reports recently experiencing just that when some of his colleagues at New York Magazine declared themselves sufficiently uncomfortable with him that he was, well, canceled. America has always had these spasms of bullying, of social intimidation, of trying to suppress. From Salem through the blacklist, it goes way back, and this is just another bout of this Puritanism, which I hope at some point will end. This country is an amazing experiment in openness and diversity, generating more mutual understanding. Used to be. No, it's, it's more than it's ever been. You go anywhere in the world, anywhere else in the world, and find a country as diverse and as tolerant as this one. You try. You think China doesn't have unbelievable levels of unspeakable racism and sexism in it? What's at issue, and this is very much going to be a factor in our political process, is a changing power structure reflecting a change in our national profile. The left is moving towards a deliberate re-engineering of our society along identity-based lines. You're not all white supremacists. These narratives that are being propelled that the society is basically not even advanced since slavery, these are extremist views. The idea that there's no difference between men and women, that biological sex does not exist, I mean, this stuff is insane. But to those who say, Andrew, look, for all the generations that we, women, we, trans, we, blacks, have been oppressed in this country, we finally have the wherewithal... To oppress others? We finally have the wherewithal to administer some leverage of our own. What's your answer? I think some of it is motivated by a kind of inverse racism and sexism that wants some kind of payback. Yes, I do think some of that is part of the psychology. And what's the natural evolution of that then? Where does it go? I hope people can understand that you don't make a right by just repeating the wrong. Look, Andrew, you've always been a voice in the wilderness, but I think yours is a particularly lonely voice right now. I know. I'm aware of it. So what? To put it bluntly, white heterosexual men have a little less power to control the discourse, and people who are not those have a little more power just to control the discourse. I'm willing to bet 80% of the men named Karen voted for Joe Biden. Texas Senator Ted Cruz claims to have raised more than $125,000 in 24 hours, signing and selling copies of Green Eggs and Ham, the Dr. Seuss classic, which incidentally has not been canceled, at 60 bucks a crack. The senator says he's campaigning against the cancel culture mob. Go woke, go broke. And there's a huge receptive audience out there. More than half the registered voters surveyed in a recent Harvard-Harris poll 64% saw their freedom threatened by a growing cancel culture. And then there is this. In less than 25 years, white Americans will be a minority. The political future of the nation is undergoing a seismic shift. 
While the national conversation seems focused on cultural icons and the randomness and often silliness of who and what gets canceled, the issues at stake are about real political power. Who gains and who loses? Time for a question that's forever putting Jim Gaffigan on the spot. As many of you know, I'm the father of five children. Five. Sure, at times it feels like 30, but mostly it feels like five. My children are my life, and I mean that in the most positive and negative way. Back in pre-COVID times, when I wasn't taking care of my five kids, I was doing stand-up comedy about them. Big families are like waterbed stores. They used to be everywhere, and now they're just weird. During normal times, when I was recognized by a stranger, it often had to do with being the father of five kids. Hey, you're the guy with the five kids. Because I'm known as the father of five children, I'm asked many of the same questions. Are you having more? How do you feed them all? Are you creating your own nationality? I shrug off all the questions except for one. Who's your favorite kid? No matter how many times I'm asked that, I'm always a little shocked by the question. My favorite? Wouldn't a decent parent feel a sense of guilt for favoring one child over another? If I had a favorite child, why would I admit it to a stranger or anyone? Who's my favorite child? That's like asking a married man, if your wife died, what type of woman would you want to date? Okay, I have thought about who my favorite child is. During the pandemic, I've spent too much time with them and I've thought about just about everything. Who is it, though? Is it my social justice champion, my 16-year-old daughter, Mari? My hysterical, maddening, and brilliant 15-year-old, Jack? Could it be my animal-loving 11-year-old, Katie? What about Mikey, my 9-year-old athlete who likes me so much, it makes me kind of question his judgment? Of course, there's also Patrick, who's 8, and my mini-me, who not only looks like me, but seems to have the same view of humanity. All my children are amazing, but if I'm honest, I do have a favorite, Serena. Sure, Serena's a German Shepherd that was rescued back in December, but she's my favorite. Hello. Serena is always happy to see me. She's never on a screen. She loves my cooking, and unlike my children, she doesn't make loud noises. I mean, she makes no noises. She doesn't even bark. Serena. That's right. I have a dog that doesn't bark. Serena, she'll be back. What more could a dad want? Thank you for listening. Please join us when our trumpet sounds again next Sunday morning. If you like CBS Sunday Morning with Jane Polly, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts.
Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at wondery.com survey.